Hello and welcome to Vet Club. It's Vet Club. And Topher was trying to produce the show with his feet, um, but he couldn't. And yeah, my foot started to cramp. Oh, is that why? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. You just He just like whoa, suddenly uh, lunged forward and used his hands because we still have a weird setup because we burned down our house. Um, not on purpose. That's Yes, that's true. It, we did not do that, actually. It was the cats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got up into the attic and chewed through one of the wires. Um, that's that's the most likely explanation because we live in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, today. Last minute game time decision about anemia. 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 Yep. And I, I don't. I'm not totally sure where this is gonna go yet. I haven't really thought that much through. Um, but uh, Topher's been encouraging me to like, hey, what if, what am I lecturing on? Let's go ahead and talk about that, yes, and then Bobby we can teaches. provide it. Yeah. <laughs> tries to um and so maybe maybe we can offer these up as like supplements for people who are taking the courses and so this is this is one i'm actually giving in a small animal medicine course so not an emergency critical care course but there's obviously a lot of overlap um for anemia and it's a common thing no matter what you do so uh, it well no matter what you do in medicine <laughs> you're going to run into this um one thing i was talking about in, in my lecture which was like last week or the week before i don't remember now is that the term anemia is is actually like not not appropriate. Oh yeah, I don't know what it means. So anemia, like if you think about if you break down the word, so emia, the su- the the suffix e m i a just means in the blood. And then a n it just is a prefix that means none, no. And so anemia literally would mean no blood in the blood, like there is no blood. But really it just means there's reduced hyponemia is I had this like epiphany that they, it should be called hyponemia instead of anemia. Yeah. But it's not. We call it anemia. Um, and so there is still blood in the blood because if not, you'd be dead. Um, but it can be, you know, lower. So does Lance Armstrong have hyperanemia? Uh, we, they call it polycythemia. Oh, it actually yeah. is a thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Polycycling nemia? Is that what you call <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Polycythemia. So poly means many. And then cy, like the cythemia, that's a, like a word for the cell. Um, so it's many cells in the blood. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the term for too, too many red blood cells more than you should have is polycythemia. Mm -hmm. Um, so (laughs) yeah, anyway, not that we're going to spend the whole time just talking about the words, but, um, that had occurred to me and I thought it was kind of funny. It helps to know what the words mean. I think it does too. Yeah. Um, So when someone spits out some jargon, you can kind of like, you can reason through it, except that's the problem is anemia. You can't, but everybody seems to just sort of understand. I think it's a term that gets used enough in just yeah everyday usage that people know oh that's a blood thing that's a problem yeah, heard, with the blood i don't i don't think i heard it much until i got to college that's probably and good then <laughs> it shouldn't it be was like people would go to donate blood and like oh. half of them would have like anemia and weren't able to no 100 percent of them oh you mean before they before donate? yeah I like people weren't afterwards. allowed to donate i was like 100 percent of them had like oh afterwards. you have anemia or, i don't it might not have been like severe but it was like enough to where you're not uh, yeah. yeah we don't want you to there donate and you should go you should go do something you should talk to your doctor maybe maybe yeah. you need some more iron in your in your diet yeah, there's probably there an iron deficiency all the time like every time there was a blood drive there were a couple people i wonder how many people were just like afraid to donate blood or afraid of needles and so they just learned that you uh, could maybe. say that and then they could lie and be like oh i totally would donate but yeah. you know i have anemia yeah usually they tried like 
they would go there and they that's would come back, but did they just you. walk there? Did they? That's what they told you. Yeah. But yeah, did they actually, because they would, so they get a sample, like a small sample of blood. Um, and then they do a bunch of, you know, on-site testing, um, mostly that kind of thing to make sure you're healthy enough for this. Um, and then there's like a questionnaire and, and then, um, then they donate blood. I tried one time and then the... Did you have anemia and you couldn't? No. <laughs> Apparently I had difficult veins. Um, and the lady put the catheter in my arm. And then I was laying there like with my arm kind of off to the side and I couldn't see and I was hooked up to the machine. And then she came by a little bit later. She goes, ooh. <laughs> and then was like, oh, like I think the catheter just wasn't in place. And because um, the, the, you know, the pump is like trying to suck my blood and it did not. My arm bruised up so much and was like sore for days. She was like, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to donate. And like she basically was like the catheter isn't in. You're, you're done. We're not going to try again. And I was <laughs> like, I didn't know enough at the time. Um, and I was just like, oh, but later, like did my arm still get an sore. orange juice. I think they did. Yeah. Does orange juice actually got, help? Um, probably not. Okay. Yeah, I so, can't think of a reason why. Well, yeah, because they always, they, they don't, you get lightheaded and, and that would be like if you were hypoglycemic, which I guess if you're taking whole blood, you are removing some of the glucose as well. But yeah, I actually don't know why that would help. It's just a good tradition. Maybe. Well, yeah, orange juice and cookies, which is a weird combination because you shouldn't drink orange juice with cookies because that's gross. <laughs> like orange juice is fine over here and then cookies, milk They should, should throw like brushing your teeth also. First brush your teeth. <laughs> Then drink this orange yeah. juice and then exactly. eat these cookies. And then brush your teeth again because really before- And then come and back. And it's just to keep you from donating blood too often. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the purpose of it. Um, yeah. Back when they used to pay you. It's funny. I never really questioned the whole juice and cookies after donating, but it, it doesn't actually make sense. But that's- not necessarily what we're going So just for those of you listening, well, if it did we work, I was going to lead anemia. into like, do you give the dogs? No. Juice? And that's what I'm saying. Like if you, if you, we treated anemia with juice and cookies, we would fail <laughs> all the time <laughs> or any kind of food or sugar or something like that. Like, no, that's not the problem. Uh, you're treating a different problem. Uh, maybe there's a correlation like that people donate blood and then, but no, you'd get, if anything, you'd get yeah, a when surge. When you donate blood, you get orange juice. It's like when you go get, to the bank, you get a lollipop. <laughs> but like you get a surge of epinephrine and that should release more glucose. Like the, the fight or flight response should lead to more sugar in your bloodstream. And so you don't, yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll look into this later and we can talk yeah. about it some other time. But anemia or hyponemia as it's henceforth going to be, no, it won't. We're going to stick with anemia. Um, so what, is, what is your understanding of it other than it prevents people from donating blood? Uh, I guess it means you don't have enough blood. Yeah. And, um, usually you're weak Yeah. and like, like I think if it's severe, you might be pale. Gosh, you're nailing it, babe. And, and you smell bad. You were so close. <laughs> you were so close. So, yeah. So, if you don't have enough blood... Um, I don't know why you're weak. Pale, I can kind of see. Yeah. Well, couple. both of those are correct. Um, weak. So, do you know what red blood cells are for? Like, what do they do? Transporting oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why. And so, what? why is transporting oxygen so important? I don't know. Because you need oxygen. Yeah. What for? To... <laughs> Oh, I'm going to find your old biology teacher from seventh grade and be like, wah. They didn't so, teach you that. Oh, well. And well, they taught it in the college. They one, probably tried. You just didn't learn it. I was too. I didn't learn any of the cycles. So you hard. don't have to know the cycles, but basically it's to produce energy. So we have aerobic metabolism in the presence of oxygen. We can convert. So that's like a squat. 
That's like a squat. Oh, no, that's anaerobic is a squat. Aerobic yeah, we'll is get like to running. anaerobic in a minute. Yeah. So aerobic metabolism is in the presence of oxygen. And um, and so we can convert a glucose molecule into, I think it's, I always get this wrong. I think it's 32 ATP. So you remember ATP is like a yeah. little energy thing. Okay. So you get 32 of those in the- what is that? It's uh, my biology professor from oh, college. That you if you went remember. to Florida in the early 2000s, you had him. And he would stomp on the ground and yell ATP. Oh, so that's why you still remember it. But nobody did that with what oxygen was for. No. <laughs> so I just need to stomp my foot on the ground and you'll remember. Yeah. I mean, it worked. I don't remember his name. So he, he didn't he stomp should. his ground. <laughs> but you know what? You remembered ATP. So yeah. uh, do you remember what it stands for? Um, no. Stomp. Adenosine triphosphate. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, okay. So in the presence of oxygen, I can convert one glucose molecule into 32 ATP, which is pretty good. In the absence of oxygen, so under anaerobic conditions, um, I can convert a glucose molecule into two ATP. So like a pretty dramatic difference. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, um, air anaerobic metabolism is great because it's less efficient. Um, and so that's why, um, exercising so even aerobic exercise you're going to have anaerobic mm -hmm. metabolism because that's you know if if there's not enough oxygen for all of your cells to do what they need they will convert to anaerobic metabolism so you're saying but, if i just hang out in an oxygen deprivation chamber i can lose weight uh sure <laughs> yeah i mean you can also like dying would also probably cause you to lose weight if you want to go that route um eventually yes superpower like deadpool maybe that uh, so if you don't, so oxygen is transported efficiently through the blood attached to hemoglobin, which is what's inside red blood cells, which is actually what gives them the red color, um, as long as they are oxygenated. So, um, oxyhemoglobin. Okay. So the red blood cells pass through the vessels in the lungs where oxygen is breathed in and it dissolves it, uh, down its, you know, concentration gradient diffuses across the, um, uh, alveolar membranes and the capillaries and it attaches, it has a pretty high affinity, um, for the hemoglobin, uh, binding sites. And, and then you have oxyhemoglobin on those red blood cells, which then swims around, doesn't really swim. It's getting pumped around by your heart, but, um, gets out to the tissues um, down to the level of the capillary. And then the, the tissues, the cells are low in oxygen. And um, there's other features of the, um, in the environment at the tissues that um, favor offloading of oxygen. So then the oxygen uh, leaves the hemoglobin and diffuses across, goes into the cells. And the cells are like, hey, I have this garbage here. We call it carbon dioxide. Uh, it's a waste product. And maybe, you know, since you're here and you're going back, you know, to the lungs, you could pick up some carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide takes the place of the oxygen um, on the hemoglobin. And then you have deoxyhemoglobin, which is a different color. Do you know what color it is? Blue. Yeah, you knew that because that's the color the veins on my wrist are. Yeah. So deoxyhemoglobin is blue. It's a different shape. Um, and if you remember from chemistry, the way if the shape changes um, because a different molecule is bound or unbound, um, then it goes into like a, a more relaxed state and then light refracts through it differently. And then you get blue instead of red. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So if you don't um, have enough oxygen carrying capacity, meaning hemoglobin uh, from anemia, then, yeah, your cells are like, hey, we don't have enough energy. Like we're not able to produce energy. So you'll feel weak. And then. Obviously, the more severe the anemia gets, the more severe the weakness gets. Um, so, yeah, weakness, collapse, exercise intolerance, those are all, you know, classic things for anemia. Now, side note, 
the there is also oxygen just dissolved in the plasma in the water part of your blood but like that's a teeny tiny fraction of the amount of oxygen in your blood. The hemoglobin is the vast, vast majority because again, that, that binding affinity, um, the dissolved stuff's just like blah, 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 doesn't know what to do. Um, so it's just kind of floating around there being not super useful. We use it more like diagnostically to know how much is dissolved because it gives us a sense for like how much total do you have? Where's the problem? But, um, but the, you need hemoglobin to efficiently and effectively deliver oxygen to the tissues and carry CO2 back to the lungs. Got it? Got it. Okay. And so is the there pill, like okay. a, an abundance of oxygen? So like, so I'm thinking of like the blood doping thing with um, uh-huh. Lance Armstrong. I think what he did was, that uh, doesn't matter. But like if you had, um, so you, you have anemia and you feel weak because you have less blood cells yeah. or red blood cells be- and not as much oxygen is being transported. Yeah. So is there a limit to like how much, how many red blood cells you can have yes. in and then like how much oxygen you can process? Uh, yes. Or is it just like a space thing? It, it, all of those things. Um, so you bring up a couple of good like points. Like the opposite of anemia is what I'm thinking. Of. Yes. Yes. So polycythemia. So um, there are limits to this. So there's always a range of, mm-hmm. um, um, of how, now importantly, under healthy conditions, healthy, normal conditions where you have the right amount of red blood cells and the right amount of hemoglobin in those red blood cells and you have everything's working right your heart is pumping your lungs are are, like everything is working the way it should if you're at rest you are pumping a surplus of oxygen around like way more than you need there's a huge reserve capacity now when you start to exercise like for that like we're ready to fly like in that fight or flight sense like at a moment's notice and so now we're suddenly consuming a lot more of the oxygen that's being delivered um and so part of it is we have a big reserve capacity. I'm also going to increase my heart rate. I'm going to, you know, shut off blood flow to certain things like, ah, oh, you don't need it right now. I'm going to go over here to the muscles so we can run away from this bear. Um, and so if I increase, there's different ways to increase your ability to um, do more, run faster, run longer. One of it is improving the efficiency. You have a heart that pumps more efficiently. You have muscle, you know, all those different things can happen. But also if you have more oxygen carrying capacity, it will allow you to do more you're like at um at a um exertion like Mm -hmm. you can exert more however (laughs) there is um there's problems with having the percentage of too high of a percentage of your blood is red blood cells because that's not the only so roughly half of your blood a little less than half in most people is um red blood cells the other half is plasma um uh well there's some other cells there's some white blood cells and platelets and things but the vast majority of what's not a red blood cell is plasma, which is water, electrolytes, proteins, and uh, other molecules that get transported in the blood like glucose. And so if the percentage of red blood cells increases, that means the percentage of plasma decreases. And so the proportion um, of all those other things, there's not room for those other things. And so that can lead to issues. But probably the biggest issue is the viscosity of blood goes up if you have too much red blood cells. And that can start to lead to issues with blood flow or perfusion. It increases the risk of thrombosis or forming clots that you're not. So like doing it too much is not good. Um, But the way that people blood dope, there's, there's, two ways there's one you can do it naturally like train at altitude so people who live in colorado people who live at altitude will have a higher percentage of red blood cells because the um, partial pressure of yeah the partial pressure of oxygen is lower at a higher altitude so the percentage of oxygen in the air is 
the same, but the, the pressure, the partial pressure is lower. And so it's harder to get oxygen into your blood because of the, um, the pressure gradient, essentially. Yeah, it's thinner. Yeah, essentially. Thinner is not really the, like, I'm surprised you said that. Yeah, I was like, I'm surprised you said thinner. That's not a very accurate term for a physicist. That's accurate. Thinner? Yeah. If you were it's to do skinnier. it by, like, like, partial pressures. Yeah, it's got a lower way, partial like pressure. I wouldn't consider that thinner. Diagram them. They usually do it, like, with bars. Oh, it's got a thinner bar. Yeah, it'd be a thinner bar. <laughs> okay, all right. Because everything has a partial pressure, like uh, aluminum and yeah. No, everything has a partial pressure. But um, okay, so anyway, um, so you can train at altitude, and anybody who's been at altitude for a period of time and then gone down to like sea level, like this happened to me. It doesn't last very long, but I was living in South Africa for a while and got adapted to living at altitude, and then I um, I moved back and I had I'd been exercising. I was running while I was in South Africa, and then I came back. Uh, to Michigan, I was staying with my folks and I went for a run like within the first couple days of being back and I felt like a gazelle. It was, I was like, holy mackerel. I was just like, I could run forever. And then it dawned on me, oh yeah, I've been living at altitude. And then like two days later, gone. Like none, none, of, that, none of that stuck around. So it's, it's very short lived. The other way that people quote unquote blood dope there's actually probably more than just these, but the other way, which is sneaky because it's not easily detectable, at least initially, is like six months. Oh, I guess it probably wouldn't be six months, but say like a month before your competition, you donate some blood yeah, <laughs> that you then later give back to yourself. Um, so you're not taking any, like, is it a performance enhancing drug? No, but it is a performance enhancer. So people started doing that for a while. Yeah, they were someone just has to, giving blood transfusions. Has to snitch on you. Yeah, yeah, because you can't figure it out otherwise. So if you do have more red blood cells in circulation uh, to a point, yeah, that will benefit you. Um, but it is pretty short-lived. Uh, and you shouldn't do that. That's silly. I mean, you train at altitude. Like, I'm, I'm all for that. Like, go and do that. And, like, and then fly to wherever you're going to go. It doesn't work very well for Brian Shaw. Well, it's a diff- it probably does. It, like imagine, yeah, he probably is better than he would otherwise have been. Yeah, but um, it's usually colder at higher altitude and then the heat destroys you. That's the problem is you have to pick your poison. Like what am I preparing for? Now he could probably build like a big arena and then just like infuse heat and humidity and then he'd be at altitude. It'd be like Florida at altitude. Yeah. Then he'd be unstoppable. It's probably illegal for him to do that. There's yeah. probably a government keeping an eye on that to be like, we mm-hmm. can't let him get too strong. <laughs> so yes so anemia weakness collapse exercise intolerance all important things the paleness because if you have less red hemoglobin then yes you are going to look less pink um, particularly in in the the, the great term mucous membranes mm-hmm. that are supposed to be pink um, but yeah like if you're a pale skinned person uh, you'll just generally look pale because fewer uh, like your capillaries are not going to be filled with blood so you will have a pallor to you um, but yeah with uh, depending on how much pigment you have in your skin that may be more or less noticeable so those so are what some does this have to do with animals? That's all the same stuff. They get <laughs> anemic too. So what are the weight, like what do you think are the causes of anemia? I think fleas. Okay. Yes, that's very specific, but it is. Blood loss. Blood loss. Yeah, uh, exactly. So like wounds. So blood loss. Yep. So it lost um, either from trauma or stealing it by fleas or other parasites. And then what else could it be? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, so there's two other. Malnourishment. Um, I'll give you that. That's right. I'll ah. give you that with uh, like an iron deficiency anemia. I'll give you that. And then. Which falls under one of the other categories, but yeah. 
and then some sort of cardiovascular problem. Good guess, but no. So there's three broad categories and one is loss, um, which is you like it's either stolen by parasites or you lose it on the ground from trauma. There is destruction or hemolysis. So lysis of blood, hemo, hemolysis. Um, and that is when your immune system goes haywire. Well, it doesn't always go haywire, but um, the immune system destroys the red blood cells. It could Why be because- Why would they do that? Well, it could be because the red blood cells are infected with a parasite um, or some other organism. So is a, blood a red born, blood cell parasite? There's a bunch of them. There's what? A lot. Yeah, like there's- That's no, terrible. I know. Don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Um, but if your immune system is like, well- uh, the only way to kill that that pathogen is to destroy the red blood cell. It's going to sacrifice the red blood cell. Other times, um, there is what's called idiopathic immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, where the immune system attacks the red blood cells, and we don't know why. Um, and it, it seems like an overreaction of the immune system, and it probably is, but it, it may be triggered by like a virus or something we haven't discovered yet, um, or many different ones. But so destruction. So the red blood cells, because they get destroyed routinely after a, like a couple months anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, um, yeah, uh, that can just be enhanced. And then the third one is because a red blood cell doesn't live forever. It lo- only lives a few months is if they don't get replaced. So lack of production. So if the bone marrow, which is where oh, you should have gotten made, that one, you probably should have, but yeah, you didn't forgot about the marrow, the marrow. Yeah. So the bone marrow makes more red blood cells. And if it stops doing that, then eventually you will become anemic because you don't replace the ones that are slowly dying over time. So those are the three big causes. And then within each of those categories, um, there are lots of different, you know, potential causes, but we like to um, keep three broad categories. And and that's important because, um, again, it helps you narrow down your list of differentials. And there are features of loss, destruction, and lack of production that we can figure out and be like, okay, if I can eliminate that, if if I know it's lack of production, I might not know why yet, but I can at least eliminate looking for reasons that would cause hemolysis or loss, right? That saves me time and it saves um, you money and just, you know, hassle. And if I can figure out the problem faster and cheaper, that's better. Um, And so some of the things like what, what else do you think, how do you think you'd figure out if there, there was blood loss? You'd, Look on the ground. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that. That is one of the obvious ways. Like, oh, look, there it is. I found it. It's not missing. It's just not where it belongs. So sometimes it's quite obvious, right? Like after a dog gets hit by a car and there's blood all over the place, you're like, I bet the anemia is caused by fleas. You're like, no, (laughs) I figured this one out. So um, sometimes it's obvious. It isn't always obvious, though. Like, can they puke it and poo it and you can't see it? That's, yeah, very astute. Um, Usually. (laughs) um, Astute. Are you making fun of me? Yeah. I complimented you. Am I in your like n- early 1900s class? <laughs> You're so mean. Very astute, Mr. Codlin. <laughs> well, that's the last time I compliment you. I get rewarded with an insult. <laughs> I'm in your surgery theater. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go have my Werther's and... <laughs> you do like Werther's. York peppermint patties. Not York, but Werther's are delicious. All right. Um, I lost my train of thought, you jerk. You were talking about uh, animals leaking blood. Oh, and I said that they they could poo or puke. Oh. It, and you said I was very astute. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so if it's going to be hard to find the blood loss, it's usually because 
they bled into their intestines um, and they don't always puke or poo it out. And so um, if they do, it's easier to find, right? Because they puked it out. Now, the funny thing is it doesn't always look obviously like blood because if you start to digest the blood, it will look blackish. Um, and so if, a, if an animal has bleeding in its stomach and it vomits it up, it looks like coffee grounds oftentimes. Yeah. Um, and then out the back, if they poo it out and it's been digested, it looks it's called melina. Um, so yeah, if you want to name your daughter Melina, maybe don't, um, <laughs> cause it means digested bloody stool. Um, <laughs> otherwise it would have been a pretty name. I'm sorry to any Melinas out there. Um, so, uh, and Melina is like sticky tarry. But like black looking. So yeah, digestive I've blood looks black. They say yeah. that. Like if yeah. your poop's black, it's because there's blood in yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Now, if it's fresh blood, like if it's red and bloody, it just hasn't been digested. So obviously you, you'd recognize that a little more easily. Um, but you don't always see the melana. Like it's not always obvious because it's mixed in with, you know, the poop. Yeah. What well, if you don't pick up your dog's poop? I'm and, not looking at that. And if it, yeah, if it's not, you know, so it, it isn't always obvious, particularly if it's lost into the intestines. Now, it can also bleed into other parts of the body, which is usually easier to find, like in free into the belly, um, into the abdomen or into the, the space around the lungs. Because is you'll that see, the hemoabdomen? That, that is you're the hemoabdomen. That's exactly oh, what's what the it lung? is. Perfusion of the lungs. Is that right? Plural effusion. Plural effusion. Psh, too many fancy t- I like how you just combine like perfusion. You just plural effusion. If I say it really fast, plural effusion. You're like, it's perfusion. Yeah. No, perfusion is the blood flow. But plural effusion. Um, and if it's blood, it would be a hemothorax. Like a hemoabdomen, a hemothorax, so heme, blood. Um, so those ones, you can usually find them because you're like, hey, there's fluid where it doesn't belong. And then you poke a needle and you get a sample and you're like, it's blood. Um, and so then you found it and the mystery is solved. Now you still have to figure out how to stop it or why it's happening. But at least you've narrowed things down. Um, with destruction, destruction often broadcasts itself um, because when you break down red blood cells too much, too fast, you have a bunch of waste products because the body tries really hard to recycle. And so it breaks down the bits and and recycles what it can and gets rid of what it can't. And so when hemoglobin gets broken down, one of the byproducts is bilirubin. And do you remember learning about bilirubin? Uh, you always no, I hear about you this. talking about it. It's such a silly name. You sh- somebody out there needs to name their child. Somebody whose last name is Reuben or Rubens needs to name their child William. And I'm then we'll sure call him have. Billy Reuben. Um, but Billy Reuben is a molecule. And do you know what color it is? No. It's that color. Yellow. So we have a, a like a, actually, yeah, it's a bright yellow um, color. And so people who are jaundiced or icterus, yeah. um, it's because they have too much bilirubin in their blood. And one of the reasons for too much I was going to ask you why jaundiced people were so yellow. Yeah, that's why. Um, so it's because they have too much bilirubin in their blood. And bilirubin can be increased by several things, more than several really. But um, one of them is too much breakdown of red blood cells. So if you have an animal who is anemic and yellow, um, then I'd be thinking hemolysis, like destruction of the red blood cells is the main thing I'd be worried about. And so that's really helpful. Um, the other thing about both loss and hemolysis, so if you if you lose your blood cells to the floor or you're destroying them, the bone marrow typically is still working. And so if enough time has passed, the bone marrow will have ramped up production and we can see evidence of that on blood work. We can see evidence of regeneration. So we like to divide anemias up into a regenerative anemia or a non-regenerative anemia. Um, And then for reasons that seem 
kind of obvious to me, is if the reason for the anemia is lack of production, then you're not going to see regeneration, which is production. So um, so if you have a non-regenerative anemia, I'm more worried about lack of production. Now there's some exceptions there though, um, because once you, like say you bleed a bunch onto the floor, it takes a little bit to send the signal to the bone marrow. Hey, you've got to ramp up production. Mm -hmm. And so there's what's called a pre-regenerative anemia. So it's like the, the bone marrow just hasn't had time to alter its its production line. It's got to call in, you know, the on-call backup. We got to train yeah. new people. And like, yeah, so it takes a few days. In. Yeah, it takes a few days. So after two or three days though, like you should be regenerating. Same with hemolysis. Um, if it happens immediately, you might not see the regeneration right away. There's another, um, so yeah. Um, so I'm looking for, if I have a regenerative anemia, I'm definitely thinking loss or hemolysis far more likely than lack of production because that doesn't make sense. How do you tell if it's regenerative anemia? Um, yeah, so regeneration, there are one, um, the best way is to look for what are called reticulocytes, which is a specific type of, immature like early red blood cell and there's a stain that you can use that like they show up like ah there they are um so there's a special stain but also even before if you don't have like a specific reticulocyte count you can look at um what are called the red blood cell indices so red blood cells are typically pretty uniform in shape um size and color. And by color, I mean how much hemoglobin there is. And so we have, um, uh, when you run a, a blood sample through a machine, an automated analyzer, um, it will set, it will spit out, um, kind of the, uh, I don't know, demographics of your red blood. That's not the word I wanted, but statistics on the red blood cells. So it's like, what's the, what's the mean or the average size of the red blood cells? And then what's the average, um, amount of hemoglobin in the cells. And if those change, that can give you a sense that, oh, this is probably regenerative because this, um, immature red blood cells are bigger but they already have like the total amount of hemoglobin they're going to have. So they're also lighter in color. Can I give you like a standard deviation of the size? And if you have a big standard deviation, um, you know that it's regenerative. So it's not about the standard deviation. It's a good, it's a good question. Um, well, it's not I, the standard you'd deviation. You'd have like some that you'd have a lot of big ones and some small ones. Whereas if you had all the mature ones, it would have a small standard deviation. They, they would, but we don't actually look at that. So the standard deviation would be pretty narrow in a mature, like yeah. non-anemic. But we don't look at the standard deviation because all of the, the mature adult red blood cells should be about the same size. So you should yeah. have like almost nothing. So what we're looking at instead is just the mean size, which if it gets too big, that means on average. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what, like how many numbers are bigger, but overall it's bigger. Oh, so the like it's, the, just the it's already a standard mean size. Yes. So if the mean size is bigger yes. than what you're expecting. Yes. Then you for this already, species, so we exactly yeah. So for this species, I know what size the average cell should be. It should be between yeah. this and this. And so if it's outside of that, then they're bigger. Um, same thing with the the color, like how much hemoglobin there is. And so if I have bigger cells that are lighter in color, that is suggestive of regeneration. Ultimately, I need a reticulocyte count to say for sure. Like that's the gold standard for deciding. And we have normal numbers for that. Like this is, if you're anemic, your reticulocyte count should be above this. And if it's not, we go, that's inappropriate. And the bone marrow is, we're going to yell at the so bone marrow. So there's a chart that works. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so that's kind of the broad approach to anemia. And then the other thing, there's there's a lot more we could talk about with the individual categories, but we're not going to do that today. What we're going to talk about is like treating anemia. Do you know how to treat anemia? I would guess first is for extreme ones, transfusion. 
Extreme. Okay, how do you know if it's extreme? I don't know if it's dying. Yeah, how are you going to know if it's dying? It looks like it's dying. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then yeah. orange juice, just like wait. <laughs> yeah. Keep it orange from dying from cookies. the other things. Yeah. Like patch it up and... Yeah, so yes, exactly is going to be figuring out why are they anemic and fix that. But in the meantime, if they are dying, they might need a transfusion. And you nailed it on this, um, which is Very so astute. smart of you. <laughs> You're such a smart dude. <laughs> Cheers. Um, you might be smart, but you're a butthead. So, um, the no, and, and the reason that's like a really important observation, though, is that it's tempting to want to transfuse patients based on the degree of anemia, like what their numbers are. Um, and so the way we often talk about anemia in veterinary medicine, it's interesting because it's different in human medicine. In human medicine, they'll talk about like your hemoglobin, like the, which we quantify. Um, and we do that in animals as well, but that's not a number we pay as much attention to. And so what everybody tends to use is either what's called the PCV or the hematocrit, both of which are essentially interchangeable, but it's the percentage of your blood that is red blood cells. Um, and if, um, and, and so if the number, the number should be around 45, your 45% is pretty normal. It's obviously a range, um, but around 45%. And so while it's generally true that the lower that number gets, the more likely you are to have those clinical signs that we talked about, like weakness, um, and lethargy and collapse and, you know, just feeling really crummy. Um, it also depends not just on how low the number gets, but how quickly it got there. And so if it happens very gradually, then do you think you're going to be worse or better if it happens gradually? Better. Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense. You just get used to it. You adapt. Yeah. Your body adapts. It's pretty good at it. You also adapt. It's like living at altitude. Yeah. Your body adjusts and is like, I guess we, this is what we do now. And so, um, so that's what an athlete should do. They just like take out your red blood cells while you work out and then drink a bunch of orange juice before the (laughs) workout. I mean, I think that's kind of what the blood doping was where you like donate blood, work out and then eventually give it back. Yeah. So I think people have already started doing that. Um, but again, it's really tempting to be like, oh, if the number falls below this, we have to transfuse and that there's, there's actually pretty good evidence to say that's not a good strategy yeah like what are the so there's um like a lot of the when you have a deficiency in something you start to have problems if, yeah. like organs is there any problem that you have if you're not if you have too little blood I yeah guess, i mean it's the same thing which it's global problem you can't do all the things you need to do yeah but is there like like lasting damage i guess it's good question um so it's generally like, not you can just wait for the body to fix it or it's like no it's going to be too low and you're going to no and and that's yeah. it's a really good point and that's essentially if the body is telling you screaming hey i need help and the things that it would do is if you're not getting enough oxygen um, because you don't have enough red blood cells the body's going to say well let's use these red blood cells we do have more efficiently so you're going to pump them you're going to spread them around more often so the heart's going to beat faster you're going to have a, a tachycardia. Um, you're going to, you might be breathing faster as well because the body, um, it doesn't really care about the reason for the problem. It's like, y'all, we ain't getting enough oxygen. Let's do all the things to get more oxygen. So you're going to pump the heart faster. You're going to take more breaths because maybe maybe it's a lung problem. I don't know, but we're not getting enough oxygen. So the way we get more oxygen is to breathe in more and then to deliver those uh, the hemoglobin molecules more frequently. So we're going to cycle them through more often by beating the heart faster. Um, we're also going to start making choices about 
maybe not everybody needs all the oxygen right now. And so when it gets bad enough, you're going to start kind of shunting blood away from the less prioritized areas of the body to the more prioritized. So you might get vasoconstriction um, in peripheral areas. So like the skin and the toes, your muscles are not. So like if you are anemic and you have to run away from a bear, you're going to struggle because your muscles are low priority. Mm-hmm. Um, your heart and your brain are going to be higher priority. But the muscles aren't dying. No, but they're okay because we can live for a while under anaerobic conditions. Some organs and some tissues are better at that than others. The muscles are like, yeah, this is our jam. We're, we're good at, at functioning okay under anaerobic conditions. There's limits, right? Um, but they can do okay. Those, those tissues aren't going to die immediately. Um, some organs struggle a little bit more like the liver is a very metabolically active organ. And so in states of hypoxia or low oxygen um, in, in the tissues, um, liver cells will they'll die a little faster, but the liver is also really resilient. And so they'll they'll make new ones That's later. when it grows back. That's when it grows back. Yeah. Exactly right. And so- Thanks, Prometheus. Um, <laughs> he's the one that made our livers grow back. Well, that's how I know. <laughs> yeah. Because an oh. eagle came and ate his liver every day and it grew back. Yeah. That yeah. was his punishment. And the eel was like, this is amazing. This is all you can eat buffet as long as you pace yourself. Um, So, um, yeah, at any rate, no, unless it gets incredibly severe. But if it's really severe, your body's going to be like, yo, we're going to die soon. 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 We need help. And so that's what you as the clinician need to be looking for are not, you don't have to wait till it's like almost dead, but like the signs that the body is not able to compensate very well anymore. And so if the heart rate is high, if the breathing is, is if it's collapsed, if it can't even like get up, walk away to go to the bathroom, like that's too weak. Right. But if it can do all its normal things now, if it's like, Hey, I can't go for a sprint. I can't go for a five mile run. You might be like, yeah, well, you're anemic. Let's, let's figure that out because giving a blood transfusion is not without risk. Um, and, uh, there, there are, you know, quite a few risks and some of them we don't really even fully know. Uh, there's good research in a lot more research in people, of course. Um, but that using a more restrictive transfusion trigger, um, is typically associated with better outcomes in almost all circumstances. And because when transfusions first became like, this is a thing we can do. This is amazing. Surely we want to have normal, like we don't want to be anemic. That's terrible. And so people were like very liberal with transfusing. And then some studies came out. This is actually, I think, fascinating. Some of the earliest um, studies or where some of this um, was stemmed from is because people are like transfusions good the end moving on we've we've solved this problem but we've moved on from bloodletting exactly now we're blood giving yeah and so um but there are groups of people who say uh no thank you um that like so jehovah's witnesses is a a religious group that doesn't accept um, blood transfusions they wouldn't accept an organ transplant that's against their religion and so there's a subset of it's, it becomes like a natural experiment. So rather than having somebody having to write an IRB and get approval to be like, hey, these people aren't going to get a blood transfusion because everybody was convinced that, every, that those people all needed a blood transfusion. But you have this small group of people who are like, no, thank you. And then people were able to go back after the fact and look back retrospectively and be like, hey, this group is actually doing better um, than this other group that we were doing what we thought was standard of care. This is the right thing to do. And so that people started questioning it. And then they said, now we have enough to start doing the actual prospective studies to see if we can't figure out like, 
what are the specific criteria? Let's make sure this group and that group are the same. And let's, let's try to isolate, you know, remove any confounders. And then they started to realize that maybe those liberal transfusion practices weren't exactly the best thing. Um, and so different criteria for giving transfusions are, is, is, is much more standardized now. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. In veterinary medicine, we were always fairly restrictive with transfusions because it just wasn't as readily available. Um, and, and they still, it still is a hard, it, you hear about this all the time in people, like we have a critical shortage of blood, you know, get to your local Red Cross. And yes, that's super important. It happens in dogs and cats as well. Um, and so we're frequently um, in, in a position where we're like, we're running out of blood products or I'm not sure we have enough to give to all the animals who might need it. And that's a, that's a crummy position to be in. Uh, but it means that we have to be very cognizant of that this is a limited resource and, you know, be mindful, one, to not waste it, right? Like don't use it when it's not necessary. So if a patient doesn't need it, it's not good for that patient to transfuse it if it doesn't need it. And it's also not good for anyone else because somebody else might need that later. Um, and then there's also situations where there's an animal who like maybe really does need it, like they should get it medically, but ethically, maybe they shouldn't because that's not a good use of a blood product. Like this animal has a terminal illness that we cannot fix. Um, maybe that one shouldn't get the transfusion. Um, I think like a lot of the, the ones where you said it was, what was it? The not producing, what was that called? The non-regenerative. Non-regenerative. That yeah. seems like the ones where you wouldn't, you would yeah. consider not doing a transfusion because you're yeah. going to transfuse it and then it's just going to it's going to need it run again. out again. It's going to need it again. Now it depends because some of those reasons for a non-regenerative knee mate can be reversed. So if it's early in the like if I just have a, an animal come in, a, a cat comes in and it has a non-regenerative anemia, and I haven't yet figured out why, then yes, I think it's reasonable to transfuse that animal while we gather the information to try to figure out what is the cause and can it be treated. And if the answer is yes, it can be treated, and then the the you know, the owners of that animal are, want to treat it, then that's a very different story. Yes, let's, we will give you transfusions to bridge that gap to try to see if treatment can be successful. But if we get the diagnosis that this is not treatable, or if the client's like, hey, we're not willing to, to do that because we don't want to put our animal through that, or it's expensive, then that one doesn't get any transfusions in my opinion. I go, okay, you know, you had this one that bought you some time so we can get the answers. Now that we have the answers, if we're not able to, or not going to try to prevent this from being needed again, then I'm not going to give you a transfusion. And that's not necessarily a very popular um, uh, standpoint, but I think it's a really important one. And um, in human medicine, like hospitals have ethical boards. They have like entire boards that make these decisions when um, when the question of like, what is the right thing to do um, is there. Or like, hey, you've got two, we have one unit of blood and two patients in front of you that need it. Who gets it? Um, it would be really cool if like, I could just pawn that off on a board, be like, y'all decide. Emergency yeah. meeting of the ethics blood transfusion team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we don't have those routinely in veterinary medicine. So it usually falls on like, who is there <laughs> to make that decision? Um, and it's hard. Um, I bring these ethical dilemmas up to students a lot and say like, what do you do? Cause it's not that there's a right answer or a wrong answer, but it's that we need to think about these yeah, things. Cause it's hard. It's like, Oh, I could save this patient. And it's easy. It's easy to do. Mm -hmm. Like, this is all you do. You just give it more blood and yeah. you just keep doing it and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll but, feel great after the transfusion. Yeah. It will work, right? But it's only going to last for three weeks yeah. and then it's going to have to be back for another one of these. And I feel responsible to the animal who 
like donated the blood and donating blood from an animal is really not the right term. Like they don't have a say in this, right? Um, they, they don't like volunteer, um, their people volunteer for them. And so like, there's some extra ethical, like, so I, I feel responsible for being very, very cognizant of that, um, that scarcity and the importance of that product. And I really want to use it wisely. Uh, I really don't want to waste it. One of my least favorite things in the world is to, give a transfusion to a patient and then shortly thereafter euthanize it. That just kind of breaks my heart. So what do you do in the future? Cause it probably should happen sometime. They have a thing that can create the, like, it it's can called just, oxyglobin. Just pump. No, it's uh, oh. not just like the synthetic, but it's okay. like, there's um, a synthetic organ that just like makes whatever blood you want. Oh yeah. It okay. makes like the dog blood or the cat blood and you yeah. have it and just pumps it out. So now mm. it's unlimited. What I mean, do you do then with your treatments? Oh, that's a really good. Well, that's, that's a good point. So, so now the it blood changes, is unlimited. It changes the, I think there are still ethical questions to answer. Um, but if it's a scenario where like, hey, the only thing, like this animal is just not producing red blood cells. And if we give it red blood cells or oxygen carrying capacity, whatever that is, um, it feels great. And every three weeks it has to come in and get this treatment. And it, there's a, truly an unlimited supply. Heck yeah, do that forever. Yeah. If the animal feels good, right? It gets a transfusion. It feels good. It has a great quality of life. It's eating, it's drinking, it's playing, it's doing all its normal stuff. It just has to come into the doctor every three weeks to get its transfusion. Heck yeah. Do that all the time. Unlimited, whatever, make it free. I would lo- yeah, make it like do that. I love that. Now, if it's um, okay, we need to, we need to keep it alive because I will be sad if he dies, but his quality of life is otherwise terrible. He's in pain. He's got, you know, end stage renal failure. And so he feel he's nauseated. He's got a feeding tube in and we're keeping him alive for as long as no, I, I, I would not, I would advocate against giving a blood transfusion or whatever magic, you know, yeah. thing that you've got in that. So it, it would be very case dependent again. So it's still an ethical dilemma, but it would at least take the scarcity of the product out of the equation. Same thing with like organ transplant. This is the analogy I often use because people are like, you, you can't withhold blood from a, a dog. If this were a person, they would get it. And first of all, not necessarily. Um, we, we like to think that, especially in the US in this first world country that like blood is available all the time, but that's also not true. Um, but what people understand a little bit better is like organs, like organ transplants. Um, there is a, a severe scarcity of free leftover organs. Um, some of them can be donated from a living patient to another living patient, like kidneys. We all have almost all of us. That's have what made two. me think of the jaundice. There's a picture that's going around oh. Instagram and Twitter where I don't know if it's real. This is probably a liver transplant thing. Uh, I forget what it is. It, if it's jaundice, then that's the one. So it's like a, sense. a dad and a daughter and mm-hmm. they have the picture of like the daughter's like hanging over his shoulder and uh-huh. he's yellow as anything Uh, and then i think she donated part of her part of her organ Uh and then the picture is like him fine and she's yellow oh no but that was like a temporary thing hopefully yeah i think so that it was a happy story gotcha okay it's Uh, like hey she just read the actual story but like the picture it's just like yeah now that she's donated half of her liver easily have been photoshopped sure i'd be able to photoshop it but like it looked real i mean i don't know enough we don't do organ transplants in animals so i don't know enough to say like if you donate half your liver are you transiently well until your liver kind of regenerates a little bit are you transiently going to um have high bilirubin maybe um so it's possible it would have to be liver in that story for it to make sense but yeah so you can donate part of your liver to someone else you can donate one of your kidneys you only have one heart you cannot donate your heart and still survive so those types of organs are even more scarce because they come from people 
Wah, wah. Where's uh, hit the want want want? But I'm bum. Oh, sorry. Sound up. <laughs> Is that because you felt bad about making fun of me earlier? No, it's because it's almost Valentine's Day. Oh, that's it. Aw, <laughs> you're such a goof. I love you too. Um, it's oh, now it's going to be public. People are going to know what. Um, but. The analogy that I make, it's not much of an analogy, really. It's just like, here's another scenario where um, organs are not a plenty. Like, you can't just go and be like, I need a new one. Give me give me a new one. Like, that doesn't work that way. Um, and so yeah, there are strict. Man hasn't made them yet. Right. There are strict requirements for who is even eligible to be on the list, the waiting list to get an organ because you have to be responsible with it. Um because in a lot of cases, somebody died, like somebody died and we want to, but we take that very, very seriously and we should. And so if you have a terminal illness and this is going to go into you for a few months, a few years, and then you're going to die from that other illness, that's probably not a good use of that organ versus, and it could go into somebody who this cures them and now they live the rest of their lives or, you know, there's the much greater potential for them to live a full life. And, um, and that's a really hard thing, but when there isn't enough to go around, that's the harsh reality of it. And so blood products are the same thing. They're just less scarce because you can donate blood and then make your own. You, it's like a liver. You can donate some and then regenerate more. And so it's less scarce than other things, but it's not unlimited. We do not have an unlimited supply and it's got a shelf life um, and it's fairly short. Uh, at its longest, you could probably store blood for about a month, um, but the shorter it, like the shorter the storage time, the better. Um, there's lots of research on this saying that like, really the fresher, the better um, for blood products. Um, so yeah, transfusing is not, it's not just like, oh, the number fell below this, boop, we give you a transfusion. It's really based on how is the patient doing? Do they need it? Um, and then again, the, there's the other layer of the ethical dilemmas. But for me, generally speaking, if I don't know what's wrong with the patient yet, or I haven't figured it out whether or not it's treatable, and you have people who are willing to like spend the time and money trying to figure that out, then I'm like, yes, let's transfuse until we, we know for sure um, that this is treatable or not. And then if it's not treatable, we're going to have a hard conversation. If it is, we're probably still going to have some hard conversations, but it will uh, at least include like, yes, it's reasonable to give more blood products here. Um, but it, it really, it depends. So it's it's a tricky thing. Um, so how often do you see anemia? In the all the time. It's yeah. very, very common. Either as the primary issue or as like a secondary consequence. So this other syndrome called anemia of chronic illness or anemia of chronic disease or anemia of chronic inflammation. They're all synonyms for the same thing. Um, and there are, uh, there's a phenomenon where if you have some sort of chronic inflammatory illness, that this commonly will send signals throughout the body that go to your bone marrow and be like, maybe don't make as many red blood cells. And it doesn't shut it off completely. Um, but it shuts it down. And so um, animals will have a mild to moderate anemia that doesn't look regenerative. It's, it's, you're not making enough reticulocytes. You're not regenerating enough. But if you fix the underlying problem, that goes away. Mm -hmm. um, and so we will, we will see that. So why does it do that? That seems counterintuitive. It is. It's really dumb. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean like there's inflammatory cell I like but I don't know why like, it could be like a it might be a maladaptive response or yeah, it could like be a, like a save resources you're sick you don't need to be around anymore type thing yeah it could be a giving up kind of a thing it, it may just be more of a resource allocation thing in the body if I had to guess um, but and it, or it's it's a adaptive because in the short term maybe there's some benefits in the short term um, but then if it goes on for too long it's like hey this 
you're still, oh, it you're could still be shutting like a, me down. You need to chill out for a while. Yeah, I don't know. Like again, it's conserving resources potentially. I'm not entirely sure though. It's a good question, but I don't really know. Um, so yeah, we see anemia really again, varying degrees. Most of the anemias we see don't require a transfusion. Yeah, I was going to ask that next. How often do you give a transfusion? I mean, fairly often, but we see anemia so often that the proportion of animals that end up needing a transfusion is fairly low. Um, even though anemia is quite common because if you can identify the problem and fix it before they need a transfusion, that's obviously preferable. So if um, I was a student and we were talking over a case and you were to ask me like, what uh, signs do you see? I should just always say anemia because there's a good chance it has it. It's not, it's not a bad way of looking at it. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm if, just you, like, if you're completely lost and you're like, what other, yeah. what other consequences would you expect with this disease? And you throw out anemia, there's a good chance. Yeah. So be if right. there's like eight students in there and you're like asking about this complicated case, I need to dive right in and say anemia immediately. I think it has anemia. And, and I'd then, be like, okay. And yeah, then the next seven students are like, dang it. He got to, the one yeah. I already knew. You'll <laughs> like ask me something that's like, oh, can you, what else do you think? I was like, oh, I think I should. Let the other students have a turn. <laughs> such a I don't want to take all of um, the It's like the, there's there's a couple like differential. Okay, what are differentials for this? Differentials, and then, that's what the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, differentials. So anemia isn't usually like a differential. You're going to create differentials for the anemia. Anemia is a problem. And then like differentials are like, what's the cause of this? But the other one that the differential that you can do that with, um, like you just suggested, is cancer. Because cancer can cause everything. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, we have this normal, healthy two-year-old, blah, 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 blah. What, what could it be? It's like, it's fine. You're like, no, it could be cancer. Yeah. But then, like, yeah, then you just sound like WebMD. I mean, there's a reason that's on every WebMD list because yeah. it causes literally everything. Um, but no, usually it's the other way around. We figure out pretty quickly that it is anemic. And then we're like, why is it anemic? Um, but if, if I were talking about a disease and you're like, what are some of the other consequences of the disease? And um, anemia would be a fairly good guess there. Cool. Yeah. Now yeah. I know. Jump you're in ready. first and say anemia. <laughs> yeah. At least then you're not saying cancer for everything. So yeah. <laughs> you're goofy. Um, yeah. I think that's the main, that's, that's enough for today. I think, I think we talked a lot about hyponemia that we can move on and oh, it's still anemia. You're not going to make fetch a thing. <laughs> for it's not a thing. We saw Mean Girls recently, the musical. Yeah. Did you think it was as good as the original movie? No, I didn't either. I enjoyed it though. Yeah, I mean, it's, fun I mean, it's, it's a place. remake, but, um, and the music, the, I actually thought the songs were good, but yeah. yeah, it's hard. The Halloween part was the best. Yeah. Topher enjoyed that song. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Um, all right. I think that's it. Yeah. Use your hands. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I get another cramp. I finally sneezed. I've been needing to sneeze this whole show. Um, okay. Well, thanks for joining in and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.